All right, Catherine Scheibe, Kat, come on up. Uh, she and I are going to co-read this morning. Uh, there's a passage from Hebrews that she's going to read. I'm going to read from our passage in Acts that is kind of the anchor passage that we've been operating out of uh, for January. So I'm going to read out of Acts, and then she's going to read out of Hebrews, and then I'm going to try to somehow preach out of both of those things, hopefully in a purposeful way. All right? So this is Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. If you want to... Do you have the microphone? Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, or and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, this is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith, the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. All right. Have a seat. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, apply this word uh, to our hearts. Help us to lean in. Uh, keep us from being distracted, Lord. Uh, and please... Keep the enemy uh, at bay uh, who would want us to take plenty of off-ramps on this journey this morning, uh, not hearing from you. Uh, so, Holy Spirit, guide us. Uh, teach in your name. Amen. So, we've been spending time uh, in January, I said this each week, and I'm going to kind of keep saying it, revisiting or recasting vision uh, for our church uh, as a body. I've said this, that it's really our heart, it's our passion, uh, it's really our challenge uh, for us as a church this year um, to DTR, is what I've been saying, to determine or define uh, the relationship, and specifically define our relationship to the Lord, first and foremost, uh, define our relationship to His body, the church, and then allowing those two relationships, our relationship to the Lord and our relationship to His body, the church, those two key relationships to help shape our relationship to the world that He's placed us in, and all the relationships and all the spheres that He has us in. Would our relationship to the Lord and His church uh, really shape those relationships? And why, I've been arguing this, why we need to DTR uh, in this way is, is that we were never meant to or created to or saved to. You've heard, you know, obviously if you've been at Midtown, you've heard that we've been saved from our sins, but we haven't just been saved from something, saved from the consequences of our sins We've been saved to something, right? We've been saved to this new life in relationship to the Lord and in relationship to His body. We weren't meant or created or saved to live in a vague or undefined relationship to the Lord or to His body because that's not how He lives 
towards us. He lives towards us in a very, very defined way, which is primarily marked, one of the big marks of how the Lord defines His relationship towards us is He lives towards us with self-emptying, sacrificial, steadfast love. That's what He says, what Jesus said in Luke 2, or 22, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Or 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. It's that defined. I loved you this much that I laid down my life for you. And what? As a result, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see it? His, his defined love for us, His devotion to us, shapes our loves, shapes our devotions, and defines our relationships. So we've been looking at what marks specifically should define us as a church body? What should define the relationship? And spending time looking at these four marks of devotion that defined the life and rhythms of the early church in Acts. This was a spirit-led, spirit-born, spirit-hungry church that devoted themselves, it says there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were continually, that word devoted is continually, steadfastly giving themselves over to these four specific things. And these things, these practices, these life liturgies, these habits, these patterns that they adopted as a community and said, we are going to do these things together. These things matured them in their relationship to the Lord, specifically His love for them. They actually matured like a fine bottle of wine. It aged their experience of God's love for them. They began to taste all the notes and all the, all the fruits and all, all the complexity of His love for them. It matured them in their relationship to the Lord and His love for them. It matured them, because if you get close to the Lord, it's going to mature you in your love for other people, which led to a remarkably mature love that they had for the world around them. matured them in the, their relationship to the Lord, love for one another, and to the world around them. So last week we talked about this. They devoted to gathering. This is one of the things I, I called us into. Would you devote to be gathering regularly to surround yourself with the apostles' teaching, to be taught by God's Word? They devoted themselves to that, which is effectively saying this. They fellowshiped, they fellowshiped with the Lord through His Word. And through prayer as well, it's another one of their devotions. And their fellowship with the Lord through His Word, it shaped their fellowship with one another. Another way I've heard it said this way, the vertical relationship defines the horizontal relationship, right? They fellowshiped vertically with the Lord together, and that began to shape dramatically their horizontal relationships. And in many ways, you could say that that's true. If we look at the quality of our horizontal relationships with one another, the fruit of those relationships, oftentimes that tells us what's the fruit or the, or the quality of the vertical relationship. So they were devoted to coming together to be surrounded by and invested in the apostles' teaching, but they also were devoted to this thing called fellowship. Now, word in the Greek, uh, it's the word koinonia, and I don't know about you, when you hear the word fellowship, it can kind of be a very vanilla sort of word. It can mean a lot of different sort of things. 
I remember being in Northern Ireland, we would put on these coffee bars uh, where we were just trying to actually meet and engage with Irish kids. And they were called, come fellow, they were called fellowship nights with the Americans, right? <laughs> come, fe- come, come fellowship with the Americans. And we knew, as the folks that were there on the mission trip, we knew we were actually coming to fellowship with these Northern Irish you know, kids w- with a purpose. But for them, fellowship literally just meant, hey, we're just going to hang out. Uh, we're going to connect. We're going to talk about some of, maybe some of the things that we love uh, and enjoy, and maybe the things that we have in common, or maybe we're going to tell you all about the things in America that you don't know about. That's not the kind of fellowship that they're talking about here. Koinonia, that word really means this, a shared, deep sense of collective purpose. Maybe, maybe another word that you could kind of sub in there is, is this. They had a sense of ownership for one another in the community. It wasn't just hanging out. It wasn't just having conversations. It wasn't just connecting, which obviously there's nothing inherently bad about that. But their fellowship, the fellowship that they continually devoted themselves to, it was way more critical than that. It's probably more akin to the fellowship that, say, people who are struggling in a battle against addiction experience in their recovery with one another. If you've ever been around somebody or maybe you've been struggling with addiction and have been a part of a recovery process, people who are in that kind of a battle, the fellowship that they have, they understand something because they understand that they're in a real battle. They know that I cannot do this alone. I need this group of people and I need this group of people in a particular way because to be isolated and to not be a part of that kind of fellowship is going to lead to me falling off the wagon. I know that the the chances of that are immensely higher, and so I understand that I need that kind of fellowship. I don't just care about my sobriety, but my sobriety and other people's sobriety are all bound up together. We need each other in that way. Tolkien probably got it the closest when he named it the Fellowship of the Ring. I don't know if you ever thought about why he called it that, I was thinking about that this week and thinking, I mean, he could have called it a lot of different things, but I think he's getting at the very heart of what this kind of fellowship is. The Fellowship of the Ring, right, which was what? A unique band of individuals, very few of whom were the same. They were gathered together for a purpose, and each were contributing what they could to the cause, but they were on that journey together. It was the Fellowship of the Ring. That's the kind of fellowship that was going on in the early church of Acts. This was a community of believers that took a deep sense of responsibility for one another. They felt responsible for one another. I know even when I say that word, there's a part of us that's like, ugh, you know, you do you, I do me, right? That was not what was going on in this church. They cared about one another and felt responsible and took ownership of one another in a a healthy way, spiritually and physically and emotionally and socially. They served one another. They were bound up together in that sort of fellowship and that sort of fight. It wasn't dutiful. It wasn't shame-driven. It wasn't obligated. I don't know if you remember that scene where the fellowship of the ring is actually put together. Remember, they're kind of all talking about how dire the situation is and then who's going to do what. 
And then everybody ends up arguing. And then finally, what does Frodo say? I'll do it. I'll take the ring, right? He steps up and says, I will, I will step into what needs to be done. And then what followed? Gandalf follows. And then Aragorn follows. You will have my sword. You will have my axe. You know, you will have my four sets of hairy little feet that can't do anything, you know, and the other guys, right? They came together not in duty. They came together not in obligation. They came together as a fellowship because they understood the seriousness of what was going on and that they needed one another to do this. And so they served and sacrificed for one another, and that's what's going on in this church. They served and they sacrificed for one another and even those beyond their community because they had been served and had been sacrificed for by Jesus. That's what Philippians 2, 1 to 7, I'm going to read that for us. That's what Paul was charging the Philippian church with in Philippians 2, 1 to 7. He says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, that's the word koinonia, any common fellowship, They devoted themselves to the koinonia. If you have any common fellowship in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is that? He goes on to say, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's Paul saying? What's he reminding the Philippian church of that's so vital? What he's telling them is this, that their fellowship with one another, the kind of devoted ownership and responsibility, service to one another, that should reflect and be born out of their fellowship with Christ. Because what is he reminding them of? That you're united with Christ, and it's in experiencing your union with Christ, he does what? You're encouraged. He puts courage in you. And don't we need courage? Like, I need courage. I need encouragement to do something like I'm going to value others more than myself. That takes courage and encouragement to do. They needed comfort from his love because we all need to be comforted by some sort of love. They needed fellowship with the Spirit, tenderness and compassion from Christ because it makes us tender-hearted and compassionate like Christ. And so their fellowship with one another, this deep sense of commitment to one another, was born out of, was fueled by their fellowship with Jesus himself. And what that led to was what? It led to joyful, 
not obligatory, not dutiful, joyful, willing sacrifice and servanthood of one another. Not out of duty or obligation, but out of devotion and experiencing the devoted, steadfast love of God by them. And what that looked like is, is they became an incredibly generous community. They didn't pick up a different mindset other than Christ Jesus. They didn't use their position for their own advantage. They took on the nature of servant. They humbled themselves. They became very generous and willing to meet needs because that's how God is towards us. I don't know about you, but it's actually only in stepping into and committing to that sort of fellowship. It's when I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to step into that sort of committed relationship with a body of people, whether that's in a small group or whether that's within a church, it's actually in stepping into that, that's actually the place that I experience that I need Jesus to actually love like this because it's not natural to me. To love like this, to sacrifice like this, to give myself like this, that's not natural to us. That's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I have to be loved by Him like that to love like Him like that. That's why the writer of Hebrews, and if you're in a small group, you're going to get to actually dig into this more this week in your small group. It's why the writer of Hebrews gives such direction to the church. He's saying, I I want you to fellowship, but I want you to fellowship like this with this kind of purpose. I want you to be about these things. Fight for something together. Fight for this together. Fight for one another's growing and maturity in the gospel. Hebrews 10 If you look at the whole passage, I'm just going to say a few things about what what Kat read for us this morning. Hebrews 10 is a whole passage about what has definitively happened for us because of Jesus' sacrifice. What Philippians 2 was talking about there, where who being in the very nature of God, he didn't use his position for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing, taking on flesh, going to the cross. Hebrews 10 is talking all about This is what has definitively happened for us because of Christ's sacrifice once and for all. And how that's changed our relationship to God, it's done, it's changed. And we have actual access now to the Lord that we didn't have before. It's really a whole passage about our justification, which justification is just a big theological word that basically says this, what do I have to do to be acceptable, to be accepted, to belong, to be loved. Hebrews 10 is a passage that is saying that the righteousness and the rightness, the acceptance, the unfailing love that you and I desire, it isn't about what we could do. It is about what he had to do for us. But what the writer of Hebrews charges them with in this, let us do this and let us do this, let our fellowship be about this, What the Hebrews writer is saying is, is without remaining in his love for us, our lives, your life and my life is going to be one giant search for justification. He's saying your fellowship is so crucial, so important to bring you back into what has happened for you in Christ Jesus. 
Because if not, if you don't experience that on a regular basis, through worship, through small groups, through other things, your life is going to be one giant quest to try to get something that you already have. You've been justified. You belong. You are right with God and therefore can be right with one another. If I'm not experiencing that through this kind of fellowship, my life will be one giant search for that. Who's going to tell me I'm right? Who's going to tell me I belong? Who's going to tell me I did enough? Who's going to tell me I'm accepted? We are. It's part of the role that we play as the body of Christ. Most people, myself included, many days are still trying to work to be justified before God and other people rather than do what we do, do our work out of being justified. See the difference? I'm either working to be justified or I'm working because I am. I'm either trying to do something to prove to God or myself that I'm enough to be loved or to try to cover up the shame or the guilt that we feel, that we all walk around with, or I'm going to walk in the fact that that has all been done by Jesus Christ. And I'm free now from living a life of trying to falsely justify myself through my own works, through how I stack up, that my justification swings on the hinge of my performance. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying without a certain type of purposeful fellowship, being devoted to this kind of fellowship and putting the truth Re-putting the truth, you think about like in a battle, when you're going into battle, I like the illustration, it's probably a little bit better for like older, you know, Roman soldiers and things like that. You actually have to have someone else put the armor on and kind of lace it up from the back, right? Unless I have someone putting the truth on me, I will struggle to live in the truth of just that one thing that Hebrews 10 talks about, justification, which I would say that all of life is one giant justification problem that we're working out every single day. And we're either working that out within the context of community or we're working that out alone. So what does he say to them? He says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, we have this, over the house of God, let us what? This is the, the lettuce passage, not lettuce like on your sandwich lettuce. Let us. Let us, not let you. This is probably the, you know, the Greek form of the all y'all, right? Of the southern all y'all. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So what do we do? Why is this fellowship so important? We need one another together to draw near. Let us draw near to God. To enter the most holy place, which if you know anything about the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the most holy place was the place that only one person could go, the high priest. And he could only go after serious amounts of law and cleansing rituals to get him in a right place to go in. And then he could only do it once a year. What is the writer of Hebrews saying here? We have access to God. Let's go to God together. 
This is like, I don't know if you've ever been in a theme park where other people had the, uni- like, I remember this at Universal, but I remember at Kings Island as a kid, too. Some people had the fast pass, right? So you're, like, standing in the giant labyrinth line, and they're just like, what? The author of Hebrews is saying, we all have the fast pass, right? Jesus has given us that, and we need to draw near because the distance isn't good. When I'm living in distance from the Lord, what happens is, is I, not the Lord, but I become unassured of the relationship. Isn't that true, what happens in distance? I become afraid. I become doubtful. I become confused. I become ashamed. The definition of the relationship gets shaky, so the distance is good. He's saying, let us draw near. Why? Because we need him to give our consciences, and we can unpack that word, but really our hearts a bath again, wash off the grime that we pick up from living in a broken and sinful fallen world and in our flesh. Let him give our consciences and our hearts a bath again. How often do my kids need a bath? I mean, we don't think of ourselves that way, but I mean, come on, every single day, get in the bath, get in the bath, whoo, get in the bath, right? We have to have our consciences given a bath again in the truth. We need our hearts washed again in the truth if we're going to have the mindset that Philippians 2 is talking about taking up in our relationships. Because guess what? Without drawing near, I'm not humble. I'm proud. It's only when I draw near to the Lord that he makes me humble. Without drawing near, I I am marked by vanity and conceit. Because that's what my flesh is drawn towards. That's what sin draws me toward. I'm drawn towards empty glory. Without drawing near to the Lord, I'm not of one mind and one spirit. If I don't fellowship with the spirit, I won't have the mind that he's given me in Christ. I'll be of my own mind. Without drawing near, I will be self-interested. I will be selfishly ambitious rather than we're called to be ambitious, but ambitious for something other than ourselves. Ambitious for one another and what one another could grow into as the body of Christ. Let us draw near. Let us what? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. What is he saying there? He's saying literally, the metaphor in my mind was of Braveheart when they were standing there with the spears. You guys remember that? He's like, hold, 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 right? And the, the horses are all riding. Literally, let's, let's hold together to the hope that we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. To hold unswervingly to that is to say we're going to hold fast. We're going to be unmoved in that. It's like locking arms when you played, was it Red Rover? Right? Like, ugh, come on, bring it, run. Because if I don't hold on to that hope, I will be tempted to, you and I will be tempted to put our hope elsewhere. Let us draw near. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And lastly, let us consider And this is the role that we play in fellowship. This is the ownership part of us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Do you hear that? I need you. You need me to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He has given us one another, not to shame one another, not to cajole one another, but to push, to encourage, to prod one another into love, the love of God for you, 
and the good works that then flow out of that when we get close to God's love for us. When you get close to Jesus and you experience his love, try stopping the good works that will start coming out of your lives. It's natural. It flows out of us, right? Because that's who he is. That's what Philippians 2 is talking about. I get encouraged. I get comforted. I experience his tenderness and his compassion, and I take on his mind, and I live the same way he lived. So let us draw near. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And how did they do that? They didn't give up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together is someone they're in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Another place in Hebrew says, let us encourage one another daily so that we might not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is trying to steal the truth away from us. It can't take it, but it can get me to live like it's not true. Let us encourage one another daily that we may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So last week I asked us, would we devote this year, would you devote this year to being at church being here to be taught the apostles' teaching, to be gathered around God's word and being shaped by his word. If you're not hearing what I'm saying, the second thing I'm asking us to devote to is to this sort of fellowship. Not just friendships, fellowship. That you would become an owner of this community. That you would see yourself implicated for love's sake, not out of duty, but that we would be a let us community. Let us do this. Let us draw near together. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us spur one another on. Would we have a fellowship of the ring, which is really us binding together to put to death sin in our lives and live in the identity that we've been given in Jesus. So if you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you. Small groups are a great place. It's just one of the places where we are fighting for this sort of fellowship. We don't just get together to hang out. It's great hanging out, but we get together for a purpose because we are literally doing what Ephesians 6 says is we are putting on the armor of God, the truth of God onto one another because we are living in a battle. We're in a fight. The other area I just want to challenge us on this morning and then Hal, Hal's going to come up and share a little bit more tactically, um, tactically in details about this. I want us to consider, um, that's, that's, that's too soft. <laughs> it's way too soft. Um, we, I want us to fellowship like this for our kids on Sunday mornings. I want to spur us on to, to you know, it says, let us not love with words, uh, but in deed. That we would love and see the good work of loving and discipling our kids on Sunday morning in the gospel as important and worthwhile work that we give ourselves over to as a community. When we baptize kids, many of you have been around for when we've done that, we take a vow at the end of that time where we say, do we as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of this child? And everybody goes, we will, all right? One of the easiest ways, I mean, that can look a lot of different ways, y'all, but there's one really concrete way. Um, and we have some people in our community, um, I don't know if I'm even supposed to announce this today, but like, come on. Um, Richard Cowan, Catherine Singleton, Wes and Melissa Floyd, uh, under the leadership of Zach and Polly Weir, 
um, have just agreed they're going to teach our K through fives starting in February for eight straight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing that because of this, what we're talking about. They feel called to discipling and stepping into that vow and that sense of opportunity to steward the gospel into our kids' lives. That's just one part of our kid town. Uh, we've got more needs, and there's needs beyond kid town. So Hal's going to share a little bit about that uh, right now. Come on, come on. I swear I'm done. Uh, but I really would challenge us. Um, our church doesn't work at this size. We are not a big church, right? Uh, we are a family. Uh, it doesn't work if we're all not putting our shoulders to some aspect of this work. And would you hear that? Not as duty again. It's just a simple flowing out of the love of God that he has for us, and what it means to be a part of a fellowship, okay? So, there we go. The first, the first step is everybody gets a plaid shirt. Yes, um, it's true. So, some snap glasses. Um, so I'll try to be as clear and direct as I can, but this is, for our congregation, this is our Rivendell moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. I mean, for, for lack of a better way to say it, so... Uh, the 168 every eight, you've heard that the last few weeks um, in, in our e-bulletin. I mentioned it uh, last week. Here's what 168 every eight means. 168 every eight means that we have 168 volunteer slots to fill every eight weeks to make Sunday morning happen for our congregation. That's what it takes to pull off uh, over a two-month period our worship. Uh, the picture behind me, uh, that is, uh, that's what that looks like. There are 10, 10 areas of service needed every Sunday. From greeting to worship um, to kid town. Um, but this is it. So I'm kind of taking my time letting the, letting the picture speak for me. But if you add up that middle, that per eight-week period, that number, the total number is 168. So if you consider, um, take into account the size of our congregation right now, I'm going to start drilling that 168 number down to what is that personally for each of us. Uh, what that comes to, if we all pitch in, that comes out to serving about three times every eight weeks. That's what it means for us to pick, to pick this congregation up. Three times every eight weeks. And so that's the ask. Will you serve three times every eight weeks? I think the best thing we can do is, is, is help guide that. So um, where do we need that kind of help? So we're going to start with our greatest need. So go to the next slide, Wes. Kidtown is our greatest need. If you break out the math of all that, based on our current numbers for pre-K and below, we need 14 volunteers every week, which works out to 112 volunteers every eight weeks to make uh, our nursery, our walkers, and our pre-K class uh, run and run well. 14 every week, 112 over an eight-week period. So for your three every eight, here's the ask. We're asking that two of your three times be in Kidtown pre-K and below. As Dave mentioned, we also have kid church uh, for elementary kids. And as he said, he alluded to the eight-week commitment. It's, that is separate from 
uh, what we're doing pre-K and below. Uh, and it does, it requires a lengthier commitment. Um, and we won't go into details. Polly has all those details. Uh, would really encourage you to reach out to her if you feel specifically called to the elementary age uh, kids. And she can share plenty more uh, with you about that. So 168 every eight, three every eight, two of those three in Kidtown pre, pre-K and below. Go to the next slide. There are other things besides uh, Kidtown that, that are required to make our congregation go. Many of these that you see here are one time, you know, it'd be one time a week, um, probably not requiring more than an hour. But because of efficiency's sake, for things like Friday night setup um, or teardown, uh, these are things that are best done four to eight weeks consecutively so you get into the habit of and the flow of how the process works. Uh, we've had folks that have been coming in on, on Friday nights. That's kind of something that they have, um, have adopted. There were four of us here the other night, and we got done in an hour. So if you know what you're doing, but it, it's best... Uh, done repetitively, and so that's what some of the that's what some of these things are. Uh, so I just want to stand here, I, you know, that let that sink in. 168 every eight, three every eight, two in pre-K and below. So, would one of your would your third uh, opportunity be off of this list? That's the the top line ask. So now let me get into the nuance here just a little bit. Um, We'd love for everybody to feel led and serve uh, in Kidtown the way I just said. But I'm not going to stand here. I'm going to stand here realistically and say, I know that's not going to happen for, for everyone. And that's okay. But here's the, here's the ask. If you're not serving in Kidtown, would you commit to owning one of these so that that will free up others to actually to, to be able to invest uh, there? The worst thing that could happen is everybody signs up to be a greeter, and we're not covering our and we're not covering our greatest needs. So we really have you know, we need to deploy our resources and our people where our greatest needs are. Kind of as we preach through Nehemiah, we there's a place in our wall that there's a breach. Well, that's another Lord of the Rings thing as well. There's a breach in the wall. So Matt, here we go. Yeah, Helm's Deep. So anyway, I, I'll I'll. I digress. 168 every eight, three every eight, two in uh, pre-K and below, one off of this list. If you're not serving in Kidtown, will you, will you pick uh, one of these up and own one of these other areas? Um, and, that means not, and that means maybe three, maybe four, five times where you pick this up. Because many of these, it does not require you to, uh, to miss this service. Uh, Kidtown requires you to de to deploy into service, uh, if you can uh, if you can make that connection there. So, next steps um, are these two immediate next steps. Mentioned it last week. We got two apps we need you to download. Uh, the first one is the planning planning center services, and you can go to the next one, uh, Wes. The next one is the church center app. 
both of those will help tremendously uh, with receiving information, with engaging with information, with scheduling. Uh, they're just really, they're, they're really helpful uh, beyond um, service um, and volunteering. They're actually helpful for getting information from our, from our community as well. So uh, we want you to download those two. If you already have the Church Center app, what I'm about to ask, I'm going to ask you to pull your phones out. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to scan the QR code on the chair in front of you. Give them a chair they can scan there. Oh, they <laughs> so what you're going to see when you scan the QR code, you're going to see two things. If you're new here, uh, we're not asking you to fill out the survey link. There is an I'm new here, and we are so glad that you're here uh, and getting a peek behind the curtain a little bit into who we are as a community. And uh, you are welcome here and would love for you to come back and be a part of, uh, of what the Lord uh, is doing here. So you can click on the I'm new here uh, and, and just follow, follow the prompts. But if this is home for you, there's a survey. I'm asking... I'm ahead of schedule. I'm going, to say, I'm going to give us two minutes here to fill that out. It should not take you more than two minutes to fill this survey out. It's asking for name, a little bit of contact info, and then check the boxes that you are interested in learning more about, and it's those ten service, it's actually nine service areas. We did not include Kidtown pre-K and below uh, because we're asking everybody to step into that. So if click the boxes that you're interested in, um, and we're going to do this over the next three weeks uh, as well, but take a second and Dave will wrap us up. want to go ahead and get take your take your stations to worship us out of here but as you're filling that out I just I realized that seeing seeing the numbers like that kind of brings everything into focus of of the reality of what does it mean to to put our shoulder to this um but I want to, I want to just before I pray for us, I want to, I want to say and remind us something about what it says here in Acts two. They devoted themselves to that apostles' teaching and to this fellowship, and to the breaking bread of prayer. And it says um, that they ate together and they they did what they were doing with glad and sincere hearts. That again, this was not. Uh, something that they felt obligated to. It was, it was coming from a deep place of sincerity, of, of joy and gladness. That they're getting per to participate in this together. And I just I challenge us um, that if, if I see some of this and go, ugh, um, that remember what it says there when he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. 
in Hebrews and with full assurance that faith brings that if I'm struggling to be glad about uh, some of the ways that the Lord may be calling me in to, to serve and to do that from a place of sincerity, it may be that um, before I say yes and step into that, I need to actually draw near to the Lord to experience what I need to experience in order to do that from a place of joy and sincerity. So um, that's what we do every week here. That's what we do in worship. That's what I hope and believe what we do in Kittown is to uh, remind our kids and one another of the great love of God for us and that as we draw near to him, uh, he softens our hearts and releases us, frees us uh, to live as his kids uh, in this world. So uh, I'm going to pray for us and then uh, Janie and team is going to lead us uh, in a little more worship. Lord, I thank you, uh, I do, um, for what you've done. Uh, Lord, I acknowledge so many days I don't have your mindset. Um, Lord, because uh, I'm drawing near uh, to all the wrong things uh, many days in order to get the life that only you can give. So I thank you uh, for this morning, uh, for your word, uh, and for even the challenge uh, that it is, Lord, looking at the life of the early church um, and seeing how devoted uh, and continually they gave themselves to these things, Lord, but we see the fruit of it. And I pray that for our community, Lord, uh, that we be a community that fights for one another in this way, that, that takes ownership uh, in beautiful ways for one another's spiritual journeys, uh, Lord, that we get to be the body uh, that you created us to be, the fellowship of, of Creve Hall, not the fellowship of the ring, um, and see uh, the work that we're doing uh, in and, and uh, amongst one another is vital uh, for our own journeys and, Lord, for people who aren't even here yet. So stir our hearts, Holy Spirit, uh, move, we pray. Uh, we love you. Thank you for being so uh, devoted to us in your name. Amen.